Well, good morning. Please turn into your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians. We're going to continue our series that we've been doing through this summer in 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3. If you're a guest here this morning, thank you so much for being here with us. My name is Stuart McRae. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, Pastor Doug is, is on vacation with family, so we pray that he would uh, enjoy that and be rested and, and enjoy fellowship with family. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you grabbed one of the blue Bibles, red Bibles, the blue Bible is page 986, the red is 1,256. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please take that Bible with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, follow along with me as I read. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain." But, but now, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, oh, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Our passage this morning is about the heart of a disciple maker. It's about what motivates a disciple maker, what compels them, what drives the disciple maker as they relate to those whom they are discipling. And this is a relevant, there you go, I get that out of my mouth. This is a relevant passage for all of us because every single one of us who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus has been called by Jesus and equipped with the Holy Spirit to be a disciple maker. A disciple maker is a spirit-empowered disciple of Jesus who enters into intentional relationships with people to help them to trust and obey Jesus and then in turn make disciples themselves. And this is really the great commission in Matthew 28, 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this commission to make disciples was most certainly given to, originally, to the 12 apostles, but throughout church history, it has been understood that this commission to make disciples has been given to all of Christ's disciples. And look, this commission isn't given to seminary professors, It's given to average, ordinary disciples like me and like you 
but disciples who are empowered with the Holy Spirit. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you've been commissioned by Jesus, the, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth to make disciples. And listen, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth has promised us that he would always be with us through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to go in obedience and make disciples. Our passage this morning is about the heart of a disciple maker. And if you, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then it's about your heart and my heart. This is the heart that we should all want to have as we go in obedience and make disciples. In this passage, we're going to learn through Paul's example that the heart of a disciple maker is centered on the faith of those whom they are discipling. We'll see Paul's heart through his concern for the faith of the Thessalonians and also the comfort he took when he found out about their persistence in faith. The heart of a disciple maker is centered on the faith of those whom they are discipling. So here's how we're going to approach this passage. Two parts, because there's two aspects that this passage shows about the heart of a disciple maker. The first aspect, and we're going to spend the majority of our time there this morning on this first aspect, this is found in verses 1 through 5, and this is the concern of a disciple maker. And then the second aspect is in verses 6 through 10, and this is where we're going to see the comfort of a disciple maker. And when we put all this together, I think that we're going to see that the heart of a disciple maker is centered on the faith of those whom they are discipling. All right, well, let's, let's get into it. The first aspect of the heart of a disciple maker is their concern for the strength of faith of those whom they are discipling. This is in verses one through five. Follow with me as I reread these verses. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Verse four, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So in these verses, we see what Paul's concern was for, and then how his concern was evidenced. Paul's concern was for the Thessalonians' strength of faith. He says, I could bear it no longer. Paul could simply bear it no longer, not knowing if the Thessalonians' faith was strong enough to uphold under the weight of the afflictions that he expected they were receiving. Paul, as you might recall, was there along with Silas and Timothy and Thessalonica for only a short period of time. He was there long enough to clearly communicate the gospel, and he was there long enough to also receive some responses to the gospel that they preached. But Paul was not there long enough, at least for his own desire, to, to truly disciple these Thessalonians in their faith to help them dig roots of faith deep into their hearts and minds. And 
Paul's concern was that if the hardships were strong enough, the Thessalonians could have their faith fatally shaken. He even says in verse five that he was afraid that through these afflictions that even the the tempter, Satan, might somehow tempt them to forsake their faith in Christ. One commentator, I think, helpfully elicits our imagination on what these afflictions may have been when he writes, perhaps some of the Jews were seeking to persuade them not to abandon all their old Jewish rituals. Perhaps the pagan authorities were tempting them by stating that there could be no persecution if they only acknowledged Caesar as Lord. The temptations were likely to be insidious and subtle. If they provided a route which would remove all opposition and persecution, then it might be very appealing. And he concludes, for established believers, these temptations might prove challenging enough, but for a new church plant, they might prove irresistible. You see, Paul, as a disciple maker, his chief concern was for these disciples' strength of faith. And the concern was whether or not that faith was strong enough to uphold underneath the the weight of affliction. Listen, Paul was called, just like you and I are called, to make disciples, not decisions. You see, if the end for Paul was to simply have people make a decision for Christ, then what concern would there be? But Paul was called to make disciples. And the end of that is is either when the disciple goes home to be with the Lord or when Jesus returns. A disciple is a learner. It's It's a dynamic term. It's an activity that carries on for the rest of one's life. And as a disciple maker, Paul had great concern for the faith of those whom he had discipled. Now, it's not like Paul had not warned them that they would experience affliction. Starting in the middle of verse 3, we read, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, that is, afflictions. Verse 4, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. You see, Paul lets us know in verse four that that's certainly at least one thing that he kept telling them over and over and over again is that they would experience afflictions and that those afflictions were by the hand of God. As a disciple maker concerned for their faith, Paul was honest with them. He didn't didn't hold back the reality that as disciples of Jesus, we, we will experience affliction. No, he loved them. He had great concern for them. And so he was honest with them. In fact, Paul regularly taught new believers that suffering was inevitable for disciples of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul wrote, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then again in Romans 18, 17, Paul wrote, If God's children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But but of course, Paul simply learned this from Jesus, the ultimate disciple maker, where in John 15, 20, Jesus told his disciples, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. As a disciple maker, the chief concern in Paul's heart was for the Thessalonians' faith, for their strength of faith. And how Paul's concern for their faith was evidenced was in his, his willingness to sacrifice his own comforts and send Timothy to them. If you recall from last week, we learned in verse 18 that Paul and Timothy and Silas, they, 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 tried, they tried hard to make their way to Thessalonica, but were hindered by Satan in some way, and so weren't able to go there. The, the hindrance must have been particular, though, to Paul, because as we know, he sent Timothy. In the middle of verse one, Paul writes, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, verse two, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ. Now, sending Timothy was a difficult decision for Paul. One commentator helps us to understand the, the difficult situation that Paul was in in Athens. Simply put, Paul had his plate full in Athens. The city was a philosopher's playground. It was also home to more than 30,000 different gods. This was a university town with more than its fair share of Christianity's critics. If ever Paul needed reinforcements on the battlefield, it was here. Yet Paul was willing to engage the enemy alone if it meant that he could somehow learn of and bolster the faith of the Thessalonian church. Sending Timothy was a difficult decision. It, it was not easy for Paul. But ultimately, because Paul's chief concern was for the Thessalonians' faith, he was more than willing, more than willing to sacrifice his own personal comforts and send Timothy to them. Paul simply could, couldn't bear any longer not knowing how these dear disciples' faith was upholding. He, he had to know to the degree that he was willing to sacrifice his own comforts. So Paul sent Timothy to learn of their faith, as verse 5 says, but more than simply to go on some sort of exposition to figure out how they're doing, Paul sent Timothy for two additional purposes and both having one hopeful result. In verse two we read, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, and then here are the two purposes, to establish and exhort you in your faith. You see, since Paul's chief concern was, was for these disciples faith, he sent Timothy to establish them in their faith. Now, the, the Greek word that's used here for establishes is almost a, a technical term for consolidation or building up of new converts. Some translations use strengthen here. I think that's a bit clear. Paul sent Timothy to, to strengthen, to, to bolster their faith. The second purpose for sending Timothy was to exhort them, to encourage them, to, to press on, to keep going, to keep following Jesus. As God's coworker in the gospel, and this may seem obvious, but it is well worth saying, as God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, Timothy both strengthened and encouraged their faith in and through the scriptures as he pointed them to Christ. This is how he bolstered their faith. 
This is how he exhorted them to keep pressing on through the word of God, pointing them to Christ. Effectively, Timothy was sent to to just continue the work of discipleship that Paul had started. The hopeful result for Timothy going and and doing these things is found in verse three, so that no one may be moved by these afflictions. You see, through Timothy's work, as their faith in Jesus was strengthened and they were were encouraged to keep pressing on, the the hopeful result was that they would stay strong in the Lord and resist the temptations that most assuredly had come with the afflictions. That was the result. The result was the hopeful result that no one would be moved or shaken by these afflictions. Paul's concern for the Thessalonians' faith was, was evidenced in his willingness to sacrifice his own personal comforts and send Timothy to continue on in the work of discipling. Discipling or discipleship, here's a, here's a definition. It's an intentional and relational process centered on scripture and prayer where a more mature disciple of Jesus comes alongside a, another disciple of Jesus for the purpose of helping them to trust and obey Christ and to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. All right, now, just a, just a brief comment. I, I know that it can be it can be intimidating, it can be a struggle for, for a lot of us when we start thinking about discipling others. So don't lose me here. We're going we're gonna to talk more about this in just a minute. So don't get bogged down. Let's, let's keep going. The heart of a disciple maker, the, the heart of a disciple maker is centered, zeroed in on. Their focus is the faith of those whom they are discipling. That's why, as a disciple maker, Paul's chief concern was for the Thessalonian strength of faith. His concern wasn't mainly, listen, his concern wasn't mainly about their afflictions, but it was how their afflictions were impacting their faith. Paul's primary concern was for their souls. It wasn't primarily about their jobs, their situation, their, their families. Oh, I'm sure that he was concerned about those things, but only as they pertained to their faith. As a disciple maker, Paul's chief concern was for their faith. Now, before we consider how this this passage should impact our lives, again, I, I know that many of us can feel intimidated at the thought of discipling. I mean, you hear a definition that says discipling is where a more mature disciple of Jesus comes alongside another disciple of Jesus for the purpose of helping them to trust and obey Christ. And you immediately have thoughts of inadequacy and not believing that you're spiritually mature enough to do that. Listen, let let me encourage you that we are all really in the same boat. We're all in the same boat of needing more growth in our spiritual maturity. None of us have it figured out. None of us have it figured out. We're all somewhere on the spectrum of spiritual maturity, but but listen, every disciple of Jesus has been called by Jesus to make disciples. And every disciple of Jesus 
has been equipped with the same Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill that calling, to make disciples. Look, in, in discipleship, we're either just a, a little further back and looking for somebody who's a, a little further ahead, so they'll, they'll intentionally come alongside of us and help us to trust and obey Jesus more, or, or we're a little further ahead, and we're trying to look for somebody who's a little further back so we can intentionally come alongside them and help them to, to trust and obey Jesus more. And the beauty of this thing is that we both grow. Some of the most growth I've ever had as a disciple of Jesus is in the midst of discipleship. I mean, most clearly, certainly, when I'm being discipled, but yes, even when I'm the one who's quote-unquote discipling, we grow. This is part of the, of the dynamic that God has built into discipleship. This is not a one-sided endeavor. I think most of us, I think if we're honest, most of us just need to go and obey Jesus. But let me encourage you more. This isn't meant to be complex. Discipleship should be simply, simply seen as helping others to be exposed more to Jesus in his word so that they will trust and obey Jesus more so they will be transformed by Jesus. We just want to help people to see Jesus. And as we do, we get to see Jesus too. And then finally, we don't do this in our own strength. Jesus has promised to be with us always through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to, to do just this. That's sweet news. Okay, let's, let's now consider how what we've seen in this passage impacts, how it should impact our own endeavors in making disciples. Through these verses, God is telling us as well that our chief concern should be for the faith of those whom we are discipling. And, and born out of that concern for their faith, there's to be a willingness to make sacrifices for their faith. Now, what are those sacrifices? They could be a whole host of things. I suspect at the bare minimum, it's the sacrifice of, of time, being available to actually disciple and be discipled. But it could be financial. Maybe, maybe you're willing to sacrifice some, some, some dollars to go pay for the coffee visit so you guys can have a, a place to hang out. I think the real question for us is, are we burdened? Do we have the concern for the faith of those whom we are discipling to make sacrifices for their faith? Finally, as disciple makers, our concern for the faith of those whom we are discipling is to be expressed by our intentional, intentional, intentional efforts to strengthen their faith and to encourage them to press on in their faith. And because that's our chief concern, we, we must, we must seek to strengthen and encourage their faith by bringing them to God's word and the gospel 
and by applying God's word in the gospel. Bringing that to bear on their lives. The heart of a disciple maker is centered on the faith for those whom they're discipling. That's why in these verses, Paul shows us that a disciple maker's chief concern is for the faith of those whom we are discipling. But concern is not the only thing that we see in this passage. The second aspect, just to remind you, this one's going to be shorter than the first. The second aspect of the heart of a disciple maker is the comfort they receive in hearing about the persistence of faith of those whom they are discipling. We see this in verses 6 through 10. Please follow along with me as I reread these verses. But now that Timothy has come to, uh, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reports that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Oh, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul's concern for the Thessalonians' faith is so great that he's willing to be left back in Athens alone sends Timothy, Timothy goes, he, he does as he was instructed to do, he comes back with news, he comes back with news that the Thessalonians are actually thriving despite experiencing affliction. Paul's elated, he's overjoyed. It is so easy to see his joy just leaping off the page of this letter. Look, the, the but now at the beginning of verse six, it gives us this impression that Timothy had, had just now, had just now come back and, and Paul was so elated that he immediately wrote this letter that we know as 1 Thessalonians and immediately sent uh, Timothy back to them. He's so excited. I mean, he describes the news that he receives about the Thessalonians as good news. This, this Greek word elsewhere is translated as gospel. This is great. You see, Paul took such comfort in the news that Timothy brought back about the Thessalonians that he likens Timothy to an evangelist coming back and preaching the good news of the gospel of the Thessalonians' faith. Paul is ecstatic. The good news that Timothy brought back was of their faith and love. John Calvin calls these the sum total of godliness. The Thessalonians might have been experiencing great affliction, but they're thriving in faith and love. If you remember back in chapter one, and we're not sure where this information come, came, maybe Timothy brought it back on his journey, but back in chapter one, Paul mentions that the Thessalonians have become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, <coughs> And Achaia, and not only that, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The, the, the Thessalonians are thriving in their faith. It's good news to Paul's ears. But this isn't the only news that Timothy brings back. Timothy also brings back encouragement from the Thessalonians. The rest of verse six tells us that the Thessalonians are 
always remembering Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, their visit. They're always remembering them, and they long to see them again. Mutual encouragement is amazing this way, and Paul is, is wonderfully encouraged. Not only, not only do they so desire to go back and see the Thessalonians, oh, but now he hears that the Thessalonians are eager to visit again with Paul and Silas and Timothy. And for all these reasons, Paul says that despite the distress and affliction that they have experienced themselves, they're now deeply comforted by the news of the Thessalonians' faith. In fact, in verse 8, much stronger language is used. Paul writes, For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul is saying that their, their lives are bound up in the Thessalonians' faith. There, so goes the Thessalonians' faith, so goes their lives, is what he's saying. And now knowing that the Thessalonians are standing fast, fast, that is, persisting in faith, they can breathe easy again. As a disciple maker, Paul's comfort was derived from hearing news that the Thessalonians' faith was standing strong. It was persisting. Paul loves these folks. The rhetorical question in verses 9 and 10 is really a, a strong declaration of his thankfulness to God for them. He and Silas and Timothy feel so much joy for the Thessalonians that when they're praying to God and, and giving thanks to God for them, they're left with this question of what, what, what kind of thanksgiving is, is sufficient for the joy that we feel for these people? They are thankful. And they do pray for the Thessalonians. Paul says in verse 10, we, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We'll talk in greater de detail next Sunday about Paul's prayer, but this, suffice it to say, Paul is very very eager to see these dear disciples face to face and supply what is lacking in their faith. As mature, as spiritually mature as the Thessalonians have been in the way that they have responded to their afflictions, they're still young believers. There's still a depth to their faith that they're lacking and Paul is eager to come and to supply it for them. Now, no doubt, the second half of this later, uh, second half of this letter, starting in chapter four, probably gives us some ideas of some of the things that he believes that they were lacking. But, but either way, Paul, Paul is he's eager. He is he's, he's still excited. He wants more. He wants to. He still wants to go back, return to them, and continue on in his endeavor of discipling them. The heart of a disciple maker is centered on the faith of those whom they are discipling. That's why as a disciple maker, Paul, Paul got great comfort from hearing about the Thessalonians' faith and that they were still persisting in their faith. 
And so it should be for us. Our, our greatest comfort and joy that we should derive from those whom we are discipling is when we, when we hear about, when we get to see and experience how their faith is moving on. It's persisting and sustaining. Some questions. Where do you receive comfort and joy as you engage with those whom you are discipling? Do you receive comfort from their presence, their fellowship, the, the worldly successes that they are enjoying? Usually, I think where we receive comfort from in their lives is probably an indicator of what we're most focused on in their lives. If we're focused on their faith, we'll receive the greatest joy and comfort when their faith is flourishing. Now, yes, we, we should rejoice and celebrate at the other victories that they experience in life. But not the cost or the minimization of their faith. The heart of a disciple maker is centered on the faith of those whom they are discipling. This is why in these verses, Paul shows us that a disciple maker receives comfort in hearing about the persistence of faith of those whom they are discipling. We started off this morning by saying that this passage is, is relevant to each and every one of us who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus because each and every one of us who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus has been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples and is equipped with the Holy Spirit empowering us to make disciples. And as disciple makers, we want to have this heart that has concern and receives comfort from the faith of those whom we are discipling as we, as we go and make disciples. Our passage is very clear that the heart of a disciple maker is centered on the faith of those whom they are discipling. The, the Thessalonians' faith is, is brought up in various ways seven times in this passage. And the reason for this is as a disciple maker, Paul was consumed with their faith. It's what he was concerned about. It's where he received his comfort and joy from. And as disciple makers commissioned and called by Jesus and equipped with the Holy Spirit, that should be our, our, what we are consumed with as well. Let's end with this. Two, two thoughts. First, Grace's mission statement is disciples making disciples, loving God and people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we have a great passion and zeal for making disciples because Jesus has a great passion and zeal for making disciples. As Pastor Doug and I personally have a great passion for disciple making, discipleship. And, and we desire that you would, you would come into that passion and that you would join us in this endeavor of making disciples for Jesus. We, we desire for all of you to be in some sort of discipling relationship. Let me say a quick word to parents with children and youth still at home. Depending on the season of your, your parenting, 
The thought of adding anything extra to your schedule, I'm sure, is overwhelming to consider. Let me encourage you that your main mission field, the, the, the main ones that you are called to disciple are the ones who are right there in your home. So be challenged by this passage, but let me encourage you to be faithful there first. But listen, and this is for all of us now, maybe as we've considered this word from God this morning, we are feeling a desire or a conviction to to want to either go disciple or be discipled. And that's good. And I'd like to encourage you to follow up with your home group leader or or Pastor Doug, or myself, or Bob, who was up here earlier, or Kevin, who leads music, or whoever's behind the Welcome Center, please come and talk to us. We would love to encourage you with that and point you in the right direction for that. Second, finally, this is it. To have the heart of a disciple maker is to be a disciple of Jesus. Our first obedience to Jesus is not to make disciples. Our first obedience to Jesus is repent and believe. If you're here this morning, and that is, that is not something that you've done this morning, if you've not obeyed Jesus and repent of your sins and, and believed in the gospel, the, the good news of his sinless life, his death on a cross for our sins and his glorious and victorious resurrection from the grave, then I would encourage you to consider that this morning. Please come talk with me. Any of the other folks that I mentioned before, maybe somebody brought you here this morning. This is our first obedience, though. If we want to have this type of heart, we must first be a disciple of Jesus. We must repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we are, we are thankful to you for a text like this. Father, a text like this that without, we wouldn't have these two aspects of the heart of a disciple maker, but we are grateful that you would, you would put this in your eternal word, Father, that we could come, that we could understand the type of heart that all disciples of Jesus are called to have, a heart that is, that is centered on the faith of those whom we are discipling. Father, I pray that you would give us uh, conviction this morning, uh, boldness. Father, I trust knowing that the Holy Spirit is empowering every disciple of Jesus to, to obey, to go, and to do the work that you've called us to do, trusting you to do what only you can do, save, change lives. But Father, use us, we pray. Would you make us humble servants that are eager and willing to come alongside other believers and and help them to trust and obey Jesus more. Help us, Holy Spirit, to let this word resonate in our hearts and minds the rest of this week and in an ongoing way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.